You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. So we're going to watch this video. We are marked. We are marked by the lines where smiles have been by the calluses of our labor, by the scars of our struggles, and by the strength of our prayers, all of which tell the story of who we are. Yet there's another mark, one that sets us apart from others and from who we once were. Unlike our physical marks, this mark can't be seen by human eyes, nor felt by human touch. Yet it's as present as the wind in the trees, For it is a mark of whose we are, rather than who we are. We are not our own. Our stories, our struggles, our victories, and our joys are all part of something larger, something greater than ourselves. This journey we call life is not about finding ourselves so much as it is about losing ourselves and finding Him. As we move toward discovering Him, we become free to explore the depth and breadth of His love and His being. We realize that being a saved people doesn't mean we are safe people, set upon a shelf to await His return. No, we're not safe, but rather we're sent from a comfortable place in society to the outcasts and the vulnerable, from an easy definition of friend and family to an ability to embrace the enemy with God's love from inside the church walls to a world outside that needs Jesus. Our vision is to join God in His mission to go wherever we must and do whatever it takes to penetrate the darkness and rescue the lost. We are set apart. We are marked. We are not our own. We are His. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you've given me the opportunity to stand up here today, and I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would take whatever I've read, studied, learned, wanted to share, and just make whatever I say uh, change somebody's life here today, to be applicable, to uh, motivate us to follow you more, to live for you, to make a difference in our life and someone else's life around us, Lord. Our days, our time is short and our opportunities are many. So Lord, we just pray that you would uh, help me today for your glory and the good of all the people here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so sometimes I like to talk about topics. Sometimes I like to go through books of the Bible after many years being here. I look at the books of the Bible that I've been through, and I'm like, well, I could probably just do that one again because it's pretty applicable. But so far, I haven't done that, and we've never covered the book of Colossians, but Colossians is really good. And so we're going to go through the book of Colossians. Paul wrote Colossians with the help of Timothy. And to see the way that we should live the Christian life. So uh, Paul had never been to Colossae. It, actually, if you were to go visit, you would just see like a big hill that's covered up with dirt. So it's not like Ephesus, where everybody wants to go tour that place. So Paul wrote a letter to the people of Colossae to help them in their Christian life, because they 
through the help of Epaphras, had uh, a church in their community, uh, a church plant basically, and they were getting sucked into the world, into the culture, into the, into the things around them. So they're like, well, you know, Christianity sounds pretty good, but this mystical stuff over here, that sounds pretty awesome too. So, you know, we should grab some of this and, you know, we've got some of this Jewish law stuff. We should probably keep that too. And so instead of being all out for Jesus, it was becoming kind of like this smorgasbord buffet goulash kind of thing. And Paul felt the need, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to write, to address that. And the things that Paul covers for Colossae, for the Colossians at the time, really impact and talk about things in our life too, like how should we be living the Christian life, uh, things about work and relationships, and how Christ is supreme. So that's what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. But really the purpose and the hope for our church right now is to do all that we can to grow in Christ and to win lost people for Christ. So you read the news and, you know, a lot of it's kind of fake news or it's spun in a weird way. Um, but late, lately, maybe it's not 100% true, but right now headline news in some areas is California seeks to ban Bibles because maybe it contains what they would consider hate speech or something against a certain group or something. Yellowstone, the volcano's about to blow, you know, wars, rumors of wars, difficulties, sicknesses, the fact that we could get in an accident and die, all these things. Our days are short. The people around us, their days are short. We might live to be a great age of 100 or 80 or 70 or 30 or, you know, there's no guarantee how long anybody's going to live, but there is a guarantee that everybody who comes to faith in Christ Jesus gets to spend eternity in God's presence gets to enjoy heaven, gets to have purpose in this life, gets to enjoy answered prayers and to make a difference in the world. So I wanted to talk about briefly the confidence of the faithful. So if we have a confidence because of what Jesus has done, because who we are in Christ, then we're going we're gonna to stand up in the midst of adversity. We're going to take a risk. Even if it's at our work or our school, we're going to stand up for Jesus and we're going to say, I know what and whom I believed and I'm going to take a stand for that. So because of the confidence that I have, because I know what I believe is is true, because what I believe makes a difference in the world, because what I believe is historically trustworthy and and can be proven. On um, Tuesday, there is a movie in Shakopee that you could go to. I don't know if I put it in here or not. I don't think I did. I put it in the email. It's at 7 o'clock on Tuesday. And some people from the church are going to this movie, and you could go to Fragments of Truth. So that is a time for fellowship too, because I think you might talk about it afterwards, right? Maybe you'll go to the movie and then talk about it. It'd be good. So fellowship is good. Anytime that you can invite people over to your house, that's good. Anytime you want to invite somebody to go with you, I mean, exchange numbers with somebody, and then a lot of people go up and down the highway to, to shop and stuff. But what if you talked to the person next to you or somebody from church and said, hey, I'm going over here, you want to come with? to develop relationships and to fellowship and to spend time together. So you just don't have to get together for Bible studies, but that would be good if you did. You don't just have to get together for prayer gatherings, but that would be good if you did. Uh, we meet on Saturdays at, from 8 to 8.30 for a prayer time. So actually you could send us your prayer request if you can't make it, but we have lots of chairs. It would be great at the ministry center if you would come pray with us. Anyway, so to be confident in your faith. So the confidence of the faithful, and we'll be in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, from the New Living Translation. So number one, a confidence because we are in a community of faith. So it's hard to be a lone ranger Christian and be out there all by yourself. It's hard to be really strong for Christ and be the, or at least think you're the only one. 
I know that it's possible to think that you're the only Christian in your school, or you're the only Christian in the town, or you're the only Christian at your work. And often, you'll find that there's more Christians than you think. There's more people following Christ than you know. There's some bold ones that stand up for their faith, and then there's other ones that are afraid of what people will say or think they don't live a life that's perfect enough to stand up for Christ. So they're kind of like undercover Christians. But we are in a community of faith, and that's what church is about. Church is a community of faith. We need to be a community. We need to have relationships. We need to do all that we can to promote fellowship in the church. That means we get together as people. Sometimes people, Christians, say that fellowship is food, which can be fun too. All right, community of faith. I like to say fellowship is racing. So if you want to go to the races on Saturday night in Arlington, those are starting up now. So that's good fellowship too. Yes, you can talk in between the races too. It's not like you can't hear all night. But anyway, community faith. Paul writes, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. Paul is an apostle called by God. God chose him to be an apostle. God came to him and said, I want you to proclaim faith to the Gentiles. You're my special chosen instrument. God usually, he doesn't send people out alone. He sent Jonah out alone. But even when I came here, I didn't actually have to do this alone. My wife and I showed up and we didn't have any contacts, didn't know anybody. But then in a matter of interesting circumstances, we came across the Jettos and not only did they say, hey, we want to help, but they said, they said, we'll sell our house where we are and build a house in the county where the church is and move out there. So Dan and I have been doing this together. And many of you have been helping. Some of you have been here all along doing this together. And Paul was not out there all by himself. He had Timothy to help him. So actually, Paul was in prison, but it wasn't like he was behind bars and couldn't do anything. It was more like house arrest, and he had a guard that obviously allowed visitors to come. And so Paul was able to meet with people and everything while he was under the watchful eye of a Roman guard because Paul was waiting to be seen, tried before Caesar. So Paul, chosen by the will of God. Number, uh, verse 2, we are writing to God's holy people, uh, other Bible versions say saints in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. So God wants us to live in community. God wants us to know that our faith isn't just about us, but it's about other people, other people coming alongside to encourage, other people coming alongside to help us to live the Christian life. It's a great thing when uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I think there's one in Jordan actually, gets together to encourage young athletes to live the Christian life. It's a great thing when there's other ministries that come alongside people in their profession, in their trade or whatever, to help them to grow in their Christian life, to show them areas that they can uh, use their skills in Christian ministry and how to, how to promote faith in, in their Christian life. So it's a good thing. So let me just talk about Apostle, all right? So I don't believe that there's anybody today alive filling the office of Apostle like there were the 11 Apostles and then they choose Matthias and then eventually Paul became an Apostle and they did miracles and they did all these things. Now there might be a spiritual gift like an Apostle. That gift means to be sent out, one who is sent out. So that would be like a missionary or a church planter. Today, to have somebody to be introduced to Apostle Robert. You know, he's got the inside track of God. I, I don't see that in Scripture. I've got questions. Had a brief summary about who is called an apostle today, which is actually a good site to go to for a lot of information. I don't agree with 100% of everything, but it's pretty good. And so gotquestions.org, or there's an app for your phone. 
says, apostle means one who is sent out, but the apostles are not present in the church today. The qualifications of this type of apostle were, one, to have been a witness of the resurrected Christ, two, to have been explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit, and three, to have the ability to perform signs and wonders. The role of the 12 apostles laying the foundation of the church would also argue for their uniqueness. 2,000 years later, we are not still working on the foundation. So there could be somebody that has a gift, but I don't think anybody fills that office today. And I'm kind of concerned about some people that are out there saying that, you know, God has chosen this person to be an apostle today, and he's your authority. And so there's scripture, and then there's whatever, you know, Apostle Robert says, and don't see that in Scripture. So I believe that Scripture is what we need and is enough. I don't think there's extra biblical messages coming to tell us how to live uh, the Christian life today, that uh, God's Scripture is sufficient. And in the end of Revelation, it says we're not supposed to add to it, add to Scripture. So um, the article also says there definitely seems to be some room for the term apostle being used to refer to someone besides the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. Anyone who was sent could be called an apostle. What exactly would be the role of an apostle outside that of the 12 apostles? That is not entirely clear. From the definition of the word, the closest thing today to an apostle in the general sense is a missionary. A missionary is a follower of Christ who is sent out with a specific mission of proclaiming the gospel. A missionary is an ambassador of Christ to people who have not heard the good news. However, to prevent confusion, it is likely best not to use the term apostle to refer to any position in the church today the vast majority of occurrences of the word apostle or apostles in the New Testament refer to the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. So, all right, so that's apostle. And then another word in the community of faith that we have is Paul writes in verse 2, we're writing to God's holy people or saints. And it's interesting that if you research it, whenever Paul talks about saints, he doesn't talk about one individual. He always seems to talk about a group of people. So when in our culture today, when I think of saint, or when people I talk to think of saint, they think about, you know, somebody that the Roman Catholic Church Pope has said, you're, you're a saint, you know, because you've, you've done all these good things, so we're going to make you a saint. So, but the New Testament says that we in Christ are saints. And again, what is a saint today? The word saint comes from the Greek word hegios, which means consecrated to God, holy, sacred, pious. It is almost always used in the plural, saints. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem in Acts 9.13. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydia. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, Acts 26.10. There's only one instance of the singular use, and that is greet every saint in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.21. In Scripture, there are 67 uses of the plural saints, compared to only one use of the singular word saint, and even that one instance, a plurality of saints is in view, every saint, Philippians 4.21. So we talked about apostles, we talked about saints, so when you think about a saint, you are, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint, which means that you can insert your name right there. So turn to your neighbor, say your name, and say, hey, I'm Saint Chris. That's where our confidence is in Christ. Now, what would make you a saint? Are you perfect? No. Is everything you do perfect? Probably not. I'm not perfect. I know that's newsflash, probably. But through Jesus Christ, we are made perfect and holy. And actually, being a saint means more about being holy, being, being set apart to God uh, to be uh, living a life that's holy because of what Christ has done. So we have 
a great opportunity to live our life in Christ. And if we can have a confidence, if we can have the knowledge that we are secure in Christ, that we are valued in Christ, that we are saints in Christ, the word translated saints, hagios, means set apart or consecrated to God. All Christians are saints who should daily experience Paul's prayer for the Colossians that God will give them his continuing grace and peace. So grace refers to God's unmerited favor and supernatural empowerment. So we receive grace and peace. Colossians 1.3, number two, saving faith. So we're a community and we have a saving faith. So verse three, we always pray for you. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. So Paul couldn't reach all these people, talk to all these people, but he surely could pray for them, and we can pray too. And I fear that sometimes we think that praying is a waste of time, that we think about the things that we should pray for. Dan, in the missionary moment, is always bringing us some missionaries that we can pray for. I have some of their missionary cards on my bulletin board, and I try to remember to pray for them when I look up there and see them. But praying is a ministry. Praying is spiritual warfare. Praying can be difficult. We, the Bible says we wrestle in prayer, but we should pray for people. We should pray for them to grow in their faith. We should pray that we would be able to meet people, to share our faith with people, that God would use us to help other people grow in their Christian life, that maybe we could come along at just the right time and be an encouragement, that maybe we could come along at just the right time and, and help them in their time of need. Maybe they're about to do something that's really bad, self-destructive, and we show up at the right time, and God uses us to encourage them, and then they cancel those plans to do that self-destructive thing. God can use us, and we should ask God to help us to be available, to help us to be equipped, to help us be ready to help people in need, and to have a truly saving faith. Now, we don't get saved by doing all the perfect works. We don't get saved by doing everything right, but there is one thing that we need to do, and that's to turn our back on sin to repent of our sin and to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And a great way to do that, prayer is talking to God and by acknowledging in prayer. Something like, a prayer like, Lord Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sin and rose again. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. I want to follow you. And if you truly, it's not, it's not the magical words of the prayer, but it's, you truly asking Christ to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and save you. And when that happens, that leads to saving faith. When that happens, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you to grow in the Christian life, will help you to understand Scripture, will empower you to do stuff for ministry, will empower you to share your faith with others, will help you, give you insight, help you to, to live the Christian life. We can't live the Christian life on our own. Uh, Paul says, we pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we thankful for? We're thankful that you are a Christ follower. We're thankful that you're living for Christ. Paul writes, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. So again, Paul had never been there before, but he had heard about these people's faith. He had some friends that lived where they live. And the same is true with us. We can't go everywhere, but we can still have a ministry to people that we're not with. I mean, we have so many technological tools now. I mean, we've got um, all sorts of social networks and instant messaging things and video things. And uh, it's amazing all the tools that we have. It's humbling to think that God might hold us accountable for all the tools that we have that we don't use appropriately. 
that we don't use for the glory of God, that we don't use to make a difference in the world. Years ago, I always thought it was really cool, uh, you know, technology stuff. I remember when I had a cell phone and a doctor in the church I went to had one of those little Palm Pilot things, and I mentioned, what is that? And I guess he thought I was really interested because then later in the week, he put one on my desk and gave me one. So I had my phone and I had my little Palm Pilot, and I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if these two would like marry each other, you know, and I could just carry one thing around? And then they did, and I got the, whatever it was, the Palm Trio, and it was married together. And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if there was an app that you could, like, if you were trying to share your faith with somebody and they asked you a question you didn't know the answer to, or you weren't really sure where the verse reference to, that you could just, you know, like, look on the app and find that information to help and guide them. And then they came out with gotquestions.org, the website. It's an app, too, that you don't need a cell phone signal for. The cults, the people that don't truly believe in God and Jesus like we do, actually do have resources and do have technological things. Those people that come and visit your door, when they knock on the door, they're actually logging, often now logging into their app and noting your response. We could do stuff like that. Not that we need to be cultish, but what if we were more purposeful? What if we look down the list of neighbors that we have and the people that are around us or the coworkers or the people in the locker next to us or the cubicle next to us, and we said, I think that God wants me to pray for this person or I should share my faith with this person or I should give this resource or this hope card or this Bible to this person. And I, I really think that God wants to do something in, in this person's life and I'm just going to keep praying and asking if there's anything I can pray about for them and you know, just being really purposeful on the way you're building relationships and the way that you're trying to share faith in Christ and uh, giving them an opportunity to come into saving faith. When you know that you're truly saved, when you know that you're truly in Christ, that makes a total difference in the way that you live your life. It makes a difference in the way you spend your money. It makes a difference in the way you use your time. It makes a difference in the things that you watch and the things that you listen to when you have truly saving faith, when you're truly in Christ. And then there is the eternal hope. Eternal hope, verse 5. So Paul writes, Which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So if you live this life for Christ now, and that's all you get, you will not waste your life. Your life will still have a better quality and impact the world in a better way, and it will still be good. But when we come to Christ, we are assured heaven, and we will be given rewards for being faithful, serving the Lord now. Uh, One of the greatest rewards is to bring people to heaven with you. And so a confident hope that God has something for you in heaven, a better life in heaven. Now, the big question is, where is heaven? Some people think that they're going to be on a cloud and they'll be strumming a harp. And I'd be the first one to say, that sounds really boring to me. I'm not really interested in that, but thanks anyway. No, heaven is where God is. So we don't really know. It must be up because Jesus descended and ascended to heaven. We don't know. You know, we've got the sky, we've got the universe, and then heaven. But we don't really know what it is, where it is, but we do know that that is where God is. Heaven, basically the best definition is with God, with Jesus. So whatever he's got, wherever he is, we're promised great things with him, eternal life with him, and that is good. 
So you've had this expectation ever since you heard the truth of the good news. So the good news is what? That we are sinners and Jesus died for our sins so that we don't have to face the penalty of sin so that we can live for eternity. I surely don't want to live for eternity now. If you stuck me here, I mean, I like Bell Plain a lot. Somehow, somewhere, uh, you know, things could get better. But I don't want to spend eternity here. I don't want to spend eternity in this country or any country or any place in the world if it's like this. I want to spend eternity where everything's right. And that is our eternal hope, is that with God in heaven, during that eternal time, that uh, timeless eternity, basically, that we will be spending our time doing things that honor God, doing things that we enjoy, doing things. Randy Alcorn wrote a book about heaven. It's a lot of speculation, but it's really nice and encouraging. Erwin Lutzer also wrote One Minute After You Die and a book about heaven, which is also good and encouraging. Uh, Some of it's speculation, but it's really exciting to think about our eternal hope. So when I sacrifice something for now, when I sacrifice something for that I'd really like today because I gave that money when I gave to the, when I tied to the church or to that missionary or, or, you know, to help someone else or for some spiritual thing, that isn't just a sacrifice. That's an investment for eternity. That's storing up my treasure in heaven. And God can reward us for that. And God can also bless our finances now. So the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit. So the next time, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, when I get an opportunity to speak again, I want to talk about bearing fruit and how we need to make plans now to bear good fruit in the summer, over the season, the things and the opportunities that we have bearing fruit. So eternal hope, it bears fruit, it's going out all over the world. Now on the back of your bulletin, there is this thing that says share your faith. And basically what this is, is a page out of the How to Find God New Testament right here. And so I was thinking... What would be the ultimate discipleship tool to give all of our people so that they can help lead somebody to Christ and help that person to grow in their faith? It has to be something that's easy for them to share. It has to be something that we can buy in bulk. It has to be something that they would become familiar with so that they could be used by God to share with others. And we've been giving this out for like ever since we've been here, these How to Find God New Testaments. And I really think that this is the tool that could make a total difference. And I would be so glad if we spent a ton of money, and actually if you gave some money to help that, but what if we could get one of these How to Find God New Testaments in everybody's home and not just dump it on them, but that we would know what's in there and then be able to tell them, you'll find like how to resist temptation on page A40. I know you're struggling with that. I'm praying for you in that. And there are some references and things like that right here. But it's a great resource. And so there's some on the back table and there's some here. But I'd encourage you to grab one. We could go through it and learn what's in there. But if you have one with you, be ready to share it with somebody because you don't know who God's going to bring across your path today or tomorrow or, or this week that is just waiting to hear how they can know Christ, how they can have salvation, how they can have eternal hope. So on page A41 of this, How to Find God in New Testaments Under the First Steps, it talks about how to share your faith. And I won't read the whole thing to you, but basically the four points that it has. And then it has a special article where the Bible verse is. Uh, so here it says, John 9, 141. Number one, you don't need any training to share your faith. A changed heart is all you need to begin sharing your faith with others. And it says, see feature on John 9, 1 through 41. Number two, be open to God's leading. Effectively sharing your faith begins with a willing heart. And it says, see feature on Acts eight forty eight. 
Under, number three, understand the simplicity of the gospel. The message of the gospel is simple, simple, not sinful, simple yet powerful. See feature on 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And number four, share your own story. Never underestimate the strength of your personal testimony. See feature on Acts 26, 1 through 23. So you would page through and you could find those things to read. And so one, if you become familiar with it, and two, if you have one that is ready to share, it doesn't, actually, it probably makes it better if you take a highlighter and highlight some of the key verses like the salvation ones or whatever. So it doesn't matter if you mark in it or not. Actually, it doesn't matter if it's used or looks brand new. The fact is, is that you have like a Swiss army knife because a lot of people don't want to share their faith because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to give the person. And if they do lead the person to Christ, they don't know what to do then. And I'm telling you, if you look in the front, like 50 pages of this, it will help you figure that out. Now, there's a ton of other good resources, a ton of other great books and things that you could get, but not for under $3 a book and not readily available like this. So what if this were the summer that you became really proactive about sharing your faith? What if this were the summer that you were just praying for opportunity and you were faithful to show up? You didn't even know all the answers. You didn't even know every single verse, didn't have it all memorized or whatever, but you were just faithful to show up and say, I'm just going to read this to you and then read how we're sinners. You can read and people will listen. And actually, if you're reading and they're listening and they ask a question that's off the wall, yeah, well, I hear what you're saying, but where did Cain get his wife? Well, that's a really good question, and why don't we talk about that after I'm done reading this? So you can get back to it instead of those distractions. Enough on that final point. We've got eternal hope. We're going to talk about fruit next time. And number four, Christian love. We're always talking about love, right? So maybe our church would grow if we were the huggy church. I don't know. I'm personally not huggy, and when I've told people that before, all of a sudden they start trying to hug on me pastor of one church I was at said, Chris doesn't like hugs, so let's all gang up on him and give him a hug. I was like sitting there counting them. Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, I'm done. So anyway, I like to hug my dog. My dog is actually trained to, to hug. So hug my wife. Hug my grandkids when they come in the door, which is awkward because the little girl's running in and getting a big hug from the pastor and this new family with, this, with these little kids come walking in. They're looking at me suspiciously. Like, what are you hugging all the kids for? What kind of church is this? Like, these are my granddaughters. Okay. All right, number four, Christian love, and we'll be done. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. This Christian love isn't because you're a nice person, it comes through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to care for people, the ability to love people, the ability to show God's love for people. It's not just you trying to be lovey and nice, but it's the Holy Spirit working through you. And all of a sudden you have a love and a compassion for broken people and hurting people and lost people and struggling people. And the more time you spend in God's Word and the more time you spend praying for them, you're able to overlook offenses. You're able to overlook things that aren't perfect in their life because you know that they're in a process, that God's got a hold of them and He's bringing them through a process. And they might say colorful words and they might do things that Christians don't do or talk about watching things that Christians don't watch and not have a clue about that. But God gets a hold of their heart and they start to change and they want to change. And you just keep loving them through all of that. And Christian love gives confidence. When you have a love for other Christians, that's a sign that you're saved. When you have a love for other believers, so sometimes I don't particularly like sports teams, but I like watching Christian athletes, especially when they do really well. 
So Sports Spectrum magazine has uh, lists of Christian athletes and their testimonies. You can find their stuff online or you can subscribe to their magazine. So they were all over the thing for football. Actually, they helped bring the Football Sunday video. And uh, I think next on their list was the World Cup for soccer and uh, all these different things. But Christian love, to love your brothers and sisters, to love lost people. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Why did he do that? Because he loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So one, I want you to have confidence in your faith so that you'll stand against persecution, you'll stand against people that try to shut you up or shut you down, or those people that um, are just really difficult, so that you'll stand up and be strong enough to share your faith with those people that need it, to rescue the lost people, to help them come to Christ. And then don't bring little babies into the world, little Christian convert babies, born-again little babies, and just leave them there in the cold. Come alongside them and help them grow in their faith. And these New Testaments can help you with that, or other books we have can help you with that, but I'm out of time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this opportunity to be here today. And I know that I talked fast today because I was excited about what I was saying, but I pray that some of this would stick. I pray that some people would grab these Bibles and say, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I guess I'll read it and see what it says, and then I'm going to give it to somebody. Lord, who am I going to give this to? Lord, and I pray that all the Bibles will go, and I can order another case, and they'll show up next week, and all those Bibles will go, and then people will start reporting about what God is doing, and that people will start coming in the doors, newly saved, growing in Christ, saying, somebody gave me a Bible, somebody showed me some love, somebody talked to me about heaven, somebody talked to me about their eternal hope, and I want to be part of this faith community. I don't want to live the Christian life alone, and actually, I'm lonely anyway. Lord, help us to meet those needs. Lord, we pray that you would use us greatly and that you would be glorified. We also pray you'd do something miraculous with our church land and that we would be able to turn it into a church building, either there or trade it for something else, and that we would have our own facility quickly where we could do even more and make a difference in this region for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.